Today's scripture reading comes from one of Paul's letters from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, and it's just the last few verses of this chapter, verses 19 through 25 of chapter 2. For it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that, free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. You know, I've always wanted to do this. Hi, Mom. Great to have you online and those of you here today in worship. Uh, today's theme uh, was almost a year ago. I do my sermon preparation for about a year in a row, usually every year. And it's amazing to me that given just the scripture and a very short title for the sermon, Dave and Marty can bring that music into our worship that is so appropriate to the theme every Sunday. It just is mind-boggling to me that they are so good at what they do and can connect with the theme in tremendous and deep ways. In the lyrics we've heard this morning already, all three anthems really reflect into our theme today from this reading in 1 Peter. So let's get started. With this particular passage, um, brings back a lot of memories to me because when I was in about middle school to early high school, our preachers back home at St. Paul's UMC, where I grew up, were preaching about some of these areas of Scripture in Paul's letters. And the sermons caused great question in my mind, and my dad and I in particular had a lot of conversations regarding those sermons and this Scripture. In fact, I have part of this passage highlighted in my Bible that I used back then for my Sunday school and youth group meetings. The question before them at that time and us in this passage is, why do we have suffering? Have you ever asked that question? Why is there suffering in the world? Or why do I suffer? I think 
in the modern time we are going through with the coronavirus, a lot more people are asking that question than maybe were two months ago. Why is there suffering in the world? And, and particularly, why do Christians suffer so? Where it came from, there was an idea maybe introduced into the church early on or at some point in history, there was this false idea that just because you're a believer or a churchgoer, that your life is free from suffering. That good Christians shouldn't have to suffer. And moreover, if you are suffering, then you're probably doing something wrong. You're not following his way. You're not following his directions. I am a pastor, and I want to tell you that that is hogwash. Suffering comes to all people, Christian and non-believer alike, and just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. Suffering comes to the least and the rich and the famous and the common, suffering happens to all of us. Death to all of us, and so does suffering. That first anthem that Dave brought to us today, mourn with those who mourn. We have a common saying that we know, misery loves company. It's true. When I seem to be down and out, some of the best comfort I find is listening to the blues, listening to music that is down. And people say, now, isn't that kind of wrong? Doesn't it keep you down? No. Because when we mourn with people who mourn, and when we're with people who are suffering as we are, there is comfort found in that. We don't ever want to go through suffering alone. One of my major concerns theologically about the coronavirus, and more particularly about our lockdowns, is that we are being told to self-isolate. I see the sign on 80 every day when I come into church, when I come in, that says, if you're from New York City, self-isolate for 14 days. That's been up there for a long time. I worry that our self-isolation will continue longer than it needs to, and that our mindset is changed, and we will suffer alone. And that's not what God wants us to do. I pray, and I grieve for those in the hospital right now. We're not allowed to visit them. So like Sis, down in Bethlehem, St. Luke's, I would so love to go visit her but I'm not allowed to. And that grieves me, because she is suffering physically alone. And yes, we're praying for her, her family is talking to us on the phone, but it's not the same, is it? We should never, ever, ever suffer alone. Theologically, we could ask this question. Why does God allow suffering. My dad and I got into a huge argument 
that lasted several months on this particular question. And it came from one of the epistles in Peter, one of the passages, and it regards to God's will. What is God's will? By the way, that was also mentioned in one of the anthems today. Do you ever struggle with God's will? I do. Jesus did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he struggled mightily with what God's will was for him to go and to die on the cross. So my dad and I were having this heated discussion for months about whether or not God causes suffering. In my Bible, it seemed to be how I understood it, that maybe God could cause some suffering for some good outcome to come later on down the road. My dad was adamant, no, God's will is perfect and God does not cause suffering. You know, it's never easy for me to admit that anybody is right, especially my dad. But you know, he was right. What we discovered was that the Bible I was using was a paraphrase and it didn't talk about this quite the way that the original Greek did. And God's will is perfect. God doesn't want suffering in the world. God didn't want Jesus to have to die on the cross. But God does allow suffering. And you can ask, well, why does God allow it if God's will is perfect? This is not an easy answer. And it's one that I'm hesitant to give because of the misunderstanding that comes from this particular answer. I don't want you to misunderstand me and what I'm about to say. Because there's a danger in misunderstanding this simple phrase. One of the reasons that God allows suffering and pain in the world is because of sin. In the Garden of Eden, when God placed Adam and Eve there in the garden, God's will was perfect for them and he wanted them to do the right thing. But he gave them free choice. And they chose evil when given the opportunity. Now the danger is that you might conclude, mistakenly, just because you suffer, it's because of sin. And something you did. That's not what I'm saying at all. The world that we live in has sin in it. And things happen in this world that I can't explain, that I don't understand. I have served churches in my 30 years of ministry, and every one of my churches has gone through some tremendous suffering. Let me give a few examples. My very first church, there was a young man on his way to work early on a Thursday morning when it was raining, and he was killed in a car accident, leaving behind a beautiful wife and three young children, ages 12, 8, and 5. I was a pastor for one week when that happened. And my heart broke for that family and for that church. Because the suffering that they went through was enormous. My third church, there was a family. A family I still dearly love whose son came home one day from school and waited for his parents to arrive from work and shot them dead. 
I remember doing that funeral, that double funeral for the husband and wife, very active members in the community, very active members of our church. She was a part-time secretary. He was involved in the bell choir. The son who did this crime was a member of the Boy Scout troop, a member of the custodial staff in our church. They were an active family. And it was one of those things that I still can't get my head around. My heart aches for Steve, the older brother. This church, two years ago, about five years ago to six years ago, we had three of our young women, all in their 40s, who died. Let the sight. Teresa DeHaven, and my wife. And my heart still aches for this church because of your connection with them and mine as well. We don't always know why God allows suffering, and maybe we're not supposed to, at least yet. But we know that there is suffering in the world. Because of this suffering, Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sin and give us new hope and a promise of eternal life. I don't know what people do with their suffering who don't believe that. I would say I always believe that. Even as a child growing up in my school and church back home, but I believe it more now today than ever before. I'm 54 years old, soon to be 55, and my faith is stronger, much stronger than it was even 10 years ago. I believe this. Jesus died for our sins. He took our place on the cross, and the promise of eternal life is true. You know, it's a lot better when we have people in the congregation saying amen for the pastor than when we have somebody on the online streaming. I don't hear you online. I can see some of the comments, but it's not quite the same, is it? I thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. Our whole Christianity, our whole church, you could argue is based on this event called the crucifixion. And, of course, the Resurrection Sunday. We talk about it at Easter. We might mention a time or two throughout the year. But I'll be critical of colleagues and myself that we don't mention it enough. If this is the of our faith and the center point of our faith, we need to talk about it more than we do. We don't talk about it enough. We don't read about it enough. We don't think about it enough. And then we don't leave it enough. See, when we're taught and when we're active and we're doing what God wants us to do, we're learning and growing in our faith. And that will always help us in our time of suffering.
it's important to think about this. The Old Testament talks a lot about the coming Messiah. It's not just a New Testament concept. The Messianic prophecy and prediction of the Messiah coming into the world goes back to the days of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and many others. In fact, there are words in Psalm 22, the 22nd chapter of the book of Psalms, that psalm talks about and has some of the very content of the last words of Jesus himself as he was dying on the cross. Isaiah, in particular, talks about Jesus, this Messiah, as the suffering servant. Now, we don't live in the same day as before when we had slaves and servants in our culture. And that's been a very negative connotation, and rightfully so. And so we kind of listen to the word slave or servant and throw it away as something bad and we shouldn't repeat. But a servant, by definition, is simply one who serves. We serve a master named Jesus. If Jesus is the Lord of your life and your Savior, then you are his servant, his disciple. Our anthem this morning, Serve as I have served, that first anthem in the chorus. That's what Isaiah was predicting. That suffering servant, this Messiah, would come into the world at some time, and it was generations later than Isaiah for sure, this Messiah would come into the world and be a suffering servant. If you suffer any time, any way, there is comfort in knowing that Jesus suffered too. We also know that those disciples who followed Jesus and the church members suffered their beliefs. Many died as martyrs for what they believed. We in America take our freedoms too gently. We don't even think about the freedoms that we enjoy in our country, particularly in the First Amendment, where we have the right to religiously gather and worship our God together. Thankful every week have the opportunity to come together in freedom to worship here at Stroudsburg. We don't have to suffer for our beliefs most of the time in this country. In fact, I don't know too many who do. But in other parts of the world, that's not the case at all. People suffer because of what they believe and what they do in serving Jesus. Just like the early disciples and the early church did back then. Jesus taught us how to serve and how to suffer. I'm not a good learner. When I suffer, 
I want to lash out. I want to scream. It's not fair and cry and be all woe is me. That's not what Jesus did at all, is it? When he was beaten before being put on the cross, he didn't say a word, did he? And even when he was suffering the most, just before he passed and died, he looked down at his beloved disciple and said to Mary, Woman, behold your son. He was concerned for others before self. And he put you and me before himself. He taught us how to love and how to serve and how to suffer. We need, we need to learn from that. I already mentioned this kind of concept about suffering for Christ. There are many who do suffer for their beliefs. Not so much here in this country, but in quite a few others, there's a penalty for gathering to worship God and for stating your witness in Jesus and your faith in Him. I wonder what the future holds, even in this country, if we take our freedoms for granted and don't do much to defend them. seems to me that we have a lot of work to do in protecting the freedoms that we enjoy. My son's in the military, as you know, and he's out somewhere in a submarine right now. And part of their mission is to defend our country against terrorism, a battle that is kind of new in our language, at least relatively new. I think about James every day, wonder what he's doing. I know he's enjoying what he's doing most of the time. I sent him my first family gram to him this past week or two ago. And I think I am guilty over the years of taking our military for granted. I've had some uncles who have served in World War II and in Vietnam War. And I'm grateful for their sacrifice and their dedication and their commitment to our freedom. My grandfather on my mom's side was a true patriot. And every, every morning he got up and went out to his front porch and threw, and flew a flag on his street. And then, by proper protocol, before sundown, he took that flag down because it wasn't lit and took it inside his home until the next day. And every day, every single day, every day, he did that. He loved his country. And he enjoyed his freedoms. And he wanted everybody to know about that. If you are a believer, don't keep it to yourself. So many times we want to just stay in the garden, don't we? Back to that first hymn we sang. But that third verse 
talks about we've got things to do. We've got some serving to accomplish. And we have people to tell about what we believe. And sometimes, yes, we might suffer for Christ. But he taught us how. And he's always with us through it all. Today I brought my Bible that I used when I was a student in middle school and high school. It's called The Way. It's a paraphrase or a version of the Living Bible. And I, I went through it this morning and this week, and I, I found some highlights, some writings, and some quotes. And it was a lot of fun to go back and kind of relive some of the things I was learning and going through back in those days, back in the mid-70s. Many of you have used the Living Bible for your personal devotions. My mother-in-law did that for many years, and maybe still does today. And the Living Bible is a paraphrase that came out in 1971. And the intention by the composer of this book, of this Bible, Kenneth Taylor, was he wanted people to be able to read the Bible to children without having to stop and explain everything to them. Because you know what? Some of these things are hard to understand sometimes. This whole idea for Ken Taylor started when around his table for dinner. He was trying to tell his children a little about the epistles of Peter and Timothy and some of the writings of Paul. And they had so many questions when he read from the King James Version. So we have this version. I want to read the beginning of Psalm 46 from the Living Bible. Because I think it reflects a very simple way to understand the beginning of that psalm. But it also speaks to our theme today about suffering. Here are the first three verses of Psalm, I'm sorry, first, yeah, three verses of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength. A tested help in times of trouble. And so we need not fear even if the world blows up and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble. In my paraphrase of those verses, this is what Bob Shank would say. Suffering, bring it on. Because we've got God on our side. We don't have a thing to worry about. I don't like suffering any more than you do. But I know that suffering is a reality in the world that we can't just get rid of with a magic wand. Some people, for some reason or the other, suffer more than others. And sometimes it doesn't seem fair. But when we suffer, we do not suffer alone. We have each other. And most importantly, we have God. What more do we need? Bring it on. I've thought a lot about suffering in the past week. There are a lot of people who suffer for a lot of reasons. Some bring it on themselves sometimes. Others suffer and we don't know why. But we all suffer to some degree or the other. 
And I like these words to draw on in my faith because God is my refuge and God is my strength. Isn't He yours? If you suffer, don't doubt, but believe and draw on His Word. I love how it says in this paraphrase, even if the world blows up, we're going to be okay. Let us pray. God, we are okay. We thank you for being with us in times of trouble, in times of grief, and in times of testing. It's not easy, God, and we know that. We don't pretend to make light of it. But sometimes our suffering seems to overwhelm. Help us to remember that even though the seas roar with foam and the mountains might tremble and earthquake, you still are our God and you still hold us in the very palm of your hand. Thank you, God, for your care and for your love. Amen.